Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. Today we're hurtling through the adrenaline-fueled, no-holds-barred, winner-take-all world of sports movies. We'll warm up with the chat about what films should have been huge blockbusters, we'll cool down with an original pitch, and leave you with a post-game analysis of what's been in our cinematic playbook recently. Pull up a chair, baby. So how shall I explain this first segment here? It was my genius idea, per <laughs> usual. I feel like we come up with uh, mini segments that I think are so pithy and yeah. easy to explain. And then on the and day, no, which is no words, a word jumble, yeah. if you will. So give me a word cloud. Okay, uh, give me a word cloud. <laughs> Just free association. My thinking is like movies that you think could have, Woulda, shoulda, been summer blockbusters. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it should be, you know, a big budget e feeling movie. Mm-hmm. Not an indie movie that you think people should like. Yeah. But a movie that maybe did get buzz at the time. It wasn't like it was, you know, totally ignored. But it's crazy that it wasn't the number yeah. one movie It wasn't more popular. Why aren't people talking about this? Yeah. Yes. And maybe sometimes... As I've discovered with mine, it's because there were just a shit ton of really popular movies that year, yeah. and it just kind or of a Spielberg movie came out that summer or whatever. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can guarantee that whatever your pick is, it's gonna get trucked on down the list. Yeah. Uh, so, so I cheated a little bit with mm-hmm. my pick because I know I've at least in passing mentioned this movie and franchise before on the podcast, and I'll I, allow it. I yeah, guess. and you're really not going <laughs> to maybe like uh, the, uh, the aspect that I'm bringing to the podcast. Is it an animated kitchen sink drama? No. <laughs> Why isn't that a contender? Is it of the Fireflies? No, I'm <laughs> trying to think of the saddest animated movie. Sorry, sorry. Um, no, it's just that I'm bringing in the M word, which is Marvel, which we tend to okay, not talk about. I'll listen politely. Yeah, you're, she just got her eyes just narrowed a bit like, yeah. ooh. No, we just, I want to hear. I want to hear. Right under the cutting yeah. room floor. <laughs> Okay, even though it was a pretty big movie at the time, my pick is Blade, the first okay. one from 1998, okay. starring Wesley Snipes. No. Because it came out in 98, which was this wild year for movies, even though it was actually a success and kind of ushered in this new era of Marvel movies, it kind of gets lost a little bit in the shuffle, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, people just don't consider it in terms of late 90s movies and in terms of Marvel movies. I... I'm not saying we should blame our current Marvel movie <laughs> hell on Blade. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley Snipes did not do that to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did turn things around for them. And it was a movie based on one of its those sort of Marvel's like lesser known characters. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a cool duster <laughs> and these cool guy sunglasses. <laughs> and he's kicking ass with his like crossbow. He's half vampire. Yeah. And it's a million times more fun than Captain America or oh, whatever. Yeah. So I don't know if you can guess some of the big movies that came out in 1998, but it kind of blew mm. my mind, not in terms of quality. They're yeah. not good. Yeah, tell me, uh, tell me what came out. Number one, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Number two, Armageddon. Number three, mm. There's Something About Mary. Okay. Number four, <laughs> this one is a weird one to me. I'm like, really? A Bug's Life? Was that big? I don't I know. Don't know. How I, is that bigger with Blade? Oh, Ants is on there, too. I think Ants is, like, number 20. (laughs) Uh, Number 
five, The Water Boy, still Adam Sandler okay. days. Uh, number six, Doctor Doolittle with Ev- Eddie Murphy. Man, that really was up there. Was up, yeah. I thought that was a bomb for some reason. Okay. I kind of thought so too, but I guess it was huge. Number seven, Rush Hour. Number eight, Deep Impact. Number nine, Godzilla, the one that had the wallflowers, Jacob Dylan song. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, number ten, Patch Adams. Number eleven, Lethal Weapon four. Then we've Man, got. Yeah, that was late in the nineties. Okay, I mean. Truman Show, Mulan, You've Got Mail, Prince of Ooh. Egypt, The Rugrats You've movie. Got Mail, was that far down? Yeah. That kind of seems like that 14. would be a top one. I know, okay. same. All right. So um, I'm still going and going. Blade <laughs> is all the way down at number 29. That huh. just kind of That's blows kind my of crazy. mind. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so just to be clear, this was a Marvel superhero movie with a black lead actor 20 years before Black Panther. And it mm. was a success, especially worldwide. I think it actually did better worldwide than it did domestically. Hmm. So I don't know why it took them so long to make another similar franchise. And you'd be like, oh, this actually does test well. And Wesley Snipes has actually spoken about this, that the studio at the time didn't understand why the film was testing so well in focus groups and why it was doing well internationally in yeah. Japan. And I think the answer is they are just a bunch of shitty old racists. You yeah. couldn't conceive of a world. <laughs> I can't even, which, yeah, yeah, even though Snipes was a huge star at that point. So yeah. he would have been able to carry, um, carry a big franchise film. And, you know, actually... Blade 2 was directed by Guillermo del Toro and is oh. probably better than the first one. Mm. And it came out in 2002, but it's still only around number 30 in That's domestic crazy. box office returns. Have you heard any chatter about if there's going to be a, like a reboot or something? There was some chatter a couple years ago that they had been in talks with Wesley Snipes to star in an R-rated Marvel movies. So I don't know if they yeah. were going to bring back like a, like a gritty Blade. Mm. Yeah. But... It's more just that the fact that it was a formula that worked for them and then they just abandoned it, you know, for a decade plus. Yeah. Yeah. Just to do a bunch of, I don't know, whatever. Whatever happened in that span of time. I don't remember. So I'm just just throwing a pitch in there for the Blade franchise. I do want to see it. You've convinced me a few times over. So mine, again, cannot believe this wasn't a huge movie. Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah. 1993, uh-huh. John McTiernan, director of Die Hard and Predator. So I'm weirdly into this guy. It's strange to me. He's but your I, guy. He's yeah. kind of my secret guy. Yeah. Um, so it's a meta Schwarzenegger action comedy written by Shane Black, who can be hit or miss. I really liked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Saw the new Predator for some reason. I was like, because I'm like, oh, maybe they people just don't understand it. It was some garbage. <laughs> oh. Anyway, it, was, it literally like, gave me a physical headache. Oh, anyway, damn. So the lead is... Didn't get his name. He's the boy from My Girl 2. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> He's a cool California dude. I can picture his face. Yeah, I can yep. picture his, like, grown-out bolt cut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The David Cassidy kind of look. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. So he's a boy who's obsessed with cinema. After receiving a magic movie ticket, he views the newest movie by his favorite action star, Jack Slater, played by Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And he's transported into the film and has to navigate the outlandish world of 90s action movie tropes as Schwarzenegger's sidekick. So maybe it was too self-referential upon its release in mm. 1993, but in today's Deadpoolian ninth yeah. circle of irony hell that we live in, I think <laughs> it would actually be huge if it were released today. Totally. And it's a uh, real death knell for it. It was released the week of or after. I couldn't quite get this, but anyways, basically the week of Jurassic Park. Oh, <laughs> so okay. it had no chance yeah. next to that wide-eyed sincere uh spielberg which yeah. is funny because that's the same thing with like um 
the thing carpenters a mm-hmm. thing i was like how could people not love i almost it? picked that one okay, for this yeah. mini segment oh, because I, because so when i was good. looking at where it was yeah it was like, et it just returns. people yeah. were like nope i want some sincerity and some sweetness you i know, don't I want, want tense men in uh, in the arctic or whatever the hell. i think it's yeah, arctic, exactly. in the tundra the tundra yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I watched it thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm about to watch a bad movie here, yeah. you know, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I was a blast. I really think actually looking through sort of box office returns and just, you know, like movies that were kind of lingering around mm-hmm. that 30 to 50 range, I was like, there's a lot of our hey, favorites no. in yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is our <laughs> rank range. Yeah. So yeah, I guess now we got to just plumb the mid range of yeah. various I mean, that's officer turns of the kind of what we do. That's where we live. <laughs> We're already doing that. Yes. <laughs> All right, sports fans. <laughs> You're nope. listening to Storyboard Radio. <laughs> you uh, don't touch a dial. Uh, you are at the, the right podcast. But today we're talking about sports films. I don't know. I don't really have an intro here. It's just uh, Meg. I listen to you. You're like sports. Yes. I heard you. I'm like blah blah blah. 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 Pass Kevin the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am, like Kevin Durant. <laughs> That's how I phrase right. her up on that anyway (laughs) um so yeah today we're talking about sports movies which was surprising when i thought about some of our previous uh like movies we've talked about i was like there's actually been quite a few like for me just last week visions of eight about the olympics downhill racer we're constantly going on about Slapshot. It is like our token movie. It is. I talked about uh, August in the Water, which is a competitive <laughs> diving movie. Yeah. I've talked about Goon, talked about several skateboarding movies. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think we, and we reference, we'll reference, I don't know. I mean, lots of motorcycle movies, I feel like, for some reason. <laughs> no, no. Which is not a personal hobby yeah. of either of ours, but. I don't know why. It's like I'm not really into sports, but sports movies are kind yeah. of enjoyable to me in a weird way. So this was kind of weirdly easy. Number one, if you go on Wikipedia, um, just type in like list of sports films and they have them by sport and it's actually like really comprehensive. I didn't um, I didn't find that till the, la- the last minute, but it would have been very helpful. So I'm just <laughs> saying you can really deep dive yeah. into that. You know, as someone who's, I mean, pretty much is into basketball, I don't really feel like I have a deep knowledge of good sports movies. I can just think of... I mean, I can think of good basketball movies, but in terms of other actual yeah. athletics, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, huh, I think mm. of, like, Major League. Yeah. Or I mean, there's the classics. The yeah. classics. But it was a little bit harder for me, personally. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to talk about Slapshot three times. Is <laughs> yeah, that I okay? Fair. I we'll think it's, you know. post a lot of pics of Paul Newman, mm. which everybody wants. Yeah. And rock it up the charts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my first one is Personal Best. 1982, written and directed by Robert Town, who was the writer of Chinatown, Shampoo, and the writer-director of another track and field movie, uh, Without Limits. So, Meryl Hemingway plays a bisexual pentathlete who is training for the 1980 Moscow Olympics, which the U.S. would end up boycotting. Uh, She's trained by a coach played by one of my top movie crushes, Scott Glenn. 
I can't explain it. I just like him. I don't no, know. He's I like need very to look him up. He's very sinewy. Picture him. He's in Ooh, like sinewy. The... That's not a word or a look I like. <laughs> really? No. I love that like seventies musculature. <laughs> Does Ooh. that make sense? Is it like like the sort of like Iggy Pop? That's who I think of as sinewy. Okay, then. I mean, I don't think Iggy <laughs> Pop is sexy, but it's that yeah. type. I think. Okay. I'm just saying they're not bulky. Okay. I don't know. I'm getting into this anyway. Sweet, I'm just saying like that, a panther. Like, and like in the '70s, okay, like, they're not roided out like today's. Again, action stars, the '70s bodies. Okay, I, don't know. I got, kind you. Of I got a, you. I got like you. a slim dad bod. Okay. Know. So Marilyn Hemingway soon begins to fall for fellow pentathlete played by real life Olympian Patrice Donnelly, and they're torn apart by their own, their own competitiveness and jealousy. Mariel eventually falls for a water polo player, sure, <laughs> but I guess that's a real thing, By um, played by real-life athlete Kenny Moore, who's from Portland, anyway, mm. cool, um, and despite injury, bit of the yips, and a hesitation to compete against her ex-lover, she goes the distance, but remains true to their complex relationship. So, cinematographer Michael Chapman also shot Raging Bull, Space Jam, <laughs> another sports movie, um, and uh, Quick Change, which I mentioned yeah, several episodes ago on. as a hidden gem. Um, so that was a highlight. Around this time, Meryl Hemingway was coming off of some troubling roles of the 17-year-old girlfriend of middle-aged Woody Allen mm-hmm. in Manhattan and the abused Playboy playmate slash actress Dorothy Stratton in Star 80. Throughout Personal Best, her dad, her coach, her girlfriend slash competitor pull her strings, but fortunately, her character gains more agency in the end. And of course, I got to mention those looks. I love those, those sort Ooh. of late 70s, early 80s, like athletic wear, you know, t-shirts, raglans, short shorts, uh, really tall socks. So this can be found on all major uh, or most of the major platforms. So pretty easy to find. So I, I guess this is my thing now. I make myself a sub theme. Just <laughs> yeah, just make it a little harder. <laughs> just a little harder. Weirdly, it's easier for me. Mm. But this is sure to please any and all true butch sports fans mm. listening because my theme is sports and romance. Yeah. That's right. Every single <laughs> movie that I picked centers on a romantic story in a sports setting, an athletic milieu, if mm. you will. And I will. And you shall. And I know what you're thinking. Is there no sacred space left in the <laughs> locker room, Lars? Hey. Well, someone think of the men. Yeah. Hey, girls will be girls. That's right. Girls will be girls, and I'm <laughs> pumping up the romance. And kissy kissy. <laughs> mm. Uh... Probably what you're actually thinking, since you listen to our podcast, is that sports are boring, and who cares about Rocky, or I don't know, like, remember the Titans, or whatever, oh, and you just want us to get back on track to a Lars erotic thriller, Ooh, yeah. or one of my punishingly long Russian period pieces. <laughs> oh, I love it. Potentially. My favorite. But I'm going to make the case that my picks are just these lovely romantic movies that you can enjoy paired with like a glass of rosé, a sangria. They're just like good Sunday afternoon movies that mm-hmm. are set in kind of like a summery, sporty vibe. So maybe an access point into sports if yeah. you are not a fan. Yeah. Uh, my first pick is The Happiest Day in the Life of Ollie Maki from 2016. It was directed by the Finnish director Juho Kozmanen. If I'm mispronouncing that, I do apologize. Finnish is not one of my languages, as I've mentioned before. Uh, it is based on the true story of the Finnish boxer Ali Maki, who competed for the 1962 featherweight world title. There's a whole complex system of 
weights in <laughs> boxing that Don't I didn't it. really understand until pretty much looking this up that I shan't go into now. No. Uh, but Maki uh, was an amateur boxer from the town of Coca-Cola, which is just very cute. That's Sounds very like Coca-Cola. Aww. Uh, but he falls in love with his friend Raya at a wedding just before he travels to Helsinki to train for the World Boxing Association featherweight championship title fight against the American boxer Davey Moore. So again, this really happened. Hmm. Um, it's a huge event in Finnish sports history. Obviously, it was this huge thing for him, but it also coincides with that first feverish, like mind-bending phase of love where that's like all you can think mm. about and everything else in the world is sort of muted. So it's just that intersection of these two huge moments in his life and it kind of delves into the tensions between the two i think that typically in male-driven boxing movies i'm used to either seeing the love interest as this supportive gal sticking by the guy's side like in rocky or her presence is just this distraction and cause of all this like conflict and ruin like Mm -hmm. in raging bull i feel like Mm -hmm. that relationship is really weird but something i loved about this movie is that it has this ability to weave in a love story not as like a support for or impediment to victory, but instead it's this sort of this guy's central concern. It's like everything that he's really focused on and everything else, even this title fight that he's been training for just feels kind of unimportant. And he's like, oh, if you're not going to be here, then I have to go to a train to go see you. <laughs> and it's really sweet. Hmm. The real Ollie and Raya actually appear in the film in possibly the loveliest scene Uh, You'll know it when you watch it. And um, I actually read an interview in The Hollywood Reporter with a cinematographer who's also Finnish. His name is J.P. Posse. And he said that in preparation for the film, he actually avoided boxing movies and just focused on uh, romantic films. Hmm. So it was shot in black and white, primarily on Kodak Tri-X 16mm film stock. And apparently they bought up all the stock there was in Europe and then everything they had in the U.S. and then Kodak had to produce some more. So I don't think it's meant to be a film stock for feature films. It's more used for newsreels, but it gives it this really lovely, it's not like a documentary quality, but it it doesn't feel precious or nostalgic. It just feels very... like an old movie, but like a very fresh one. I love how there are different types of film nerds, and some people are really focused on like the type of film it was, yeah. or the process, or the lenses. And I definitely don't know about that. Oh, so I, I think it's very either. interesting to hear that. I mean, it kind of <laughs> means nothing. No, to me. it washes <laughs> over me. But I enjoy a good story, a good yarn. Yeah, about I that mean, kind of normally thing. that's not something I'm super. But that's aware, an interesting. But that was an interesting piece of trivia. I love good trivia. Yeah. So, <laughs> speaking of romantic movies, I really went for it with this one. Ice Castles, 1978, directed by Donald Rye. So the story is, a 16-year-old small-town ice skater with prodigious talent begins to move up in the glitzy world of competitive ice skating until a tragic accident leads to an injury that would ordinarily dash anyone's hopes of competing with the love of her family, her coach, (gasps) and her kind of dickish uh, hockey player (laughs) boyfriend, uh, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, she works tirelessly to compete once more. Mm. Um... So first off, we got to talk about the casting here. The lead is played by real-life ice skater Lynn Holly Johnson. Um, her boyfriend is played by kind of like a young John Travolta-esque uh, actor called Robbie Benson, who was, trivia, was the voice of the Beast in Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast. What? 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 That's random. That was a very random piece of trivia I found. Anyway, yeah. her father is played by, again, like a, just a great, like, 
a cinema dad kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Tom Skerritt. Love oh, him. In Tom anything, Skerritt. I mean, He's, Tom Skerritt. Yeah. I'm in. Um, her small town coach is played by Colleen Dewhurst. Um, so as Annie Hall's mom, she was like so urbane. Yeah. I don't know if you remember her. But in this, she's really pulling off this, like, grizzled coach who's also the owner of the local bowling alley. It's like, I really buy it. It's so weird. I was like, I completely buy both roles. She has this great gravelly kind of voice. And the big city coach is played by Connie Britton lookalike, Jennifer Warren, who is also in one of my favorite films, um, Night Moves, from 1975, which I'm sure I'll cover at some point. Love it. Amazing cast right there. The director, Donald Rye, uh, mostly made TV movies. Which kind of accounts for, like, the family drama vibe of this. Mm. So I did kind of go into some Hallmark territory. Thought Ooh, you'd maybe kind of like I that. Get sports, get Hallmark. Yeah. yeah. He also directed a remake of Ice Castles in 2010. I don't know anything about oh. that. So Is anyway. it for Hallmark? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but the highlight of the film is definitely the absolutely stunning cinematography by Bill Butler, who also shot Jaws, The Conversation. Whoa. I, I know. And It's My Turn, which was the film um, that Claudia Wheel made after Girlfriends, which is also kind of a sports oh. movie I thought about because there's baseball involved. So for the visuals alone, I honestly can't believe no one talks about this movie yeah. like there was almost no reviews or like interesting even like the amounts of like ratings sometimes i'll kind of go like oh on a movie or on imdb like there's there's so few like actual huh. like ratings that's it blows my mind so if you're in the uh the market for one of the most stunningly photographed sports themed hallmark movies ever <laughs> check out ice castles for free on amazon prime oh okay yeah. i i absolutely will it's you've a, sold it's me it's really it's like it's sweet and I, I'm like, I'm not in those kind of movies, but yeah. it's really well shot and, like, really well paced. Totally worth it. Well, speaking of a very sweet film, uh, my next pick is Boys, which is a, which is, like Hallmark, a Dutch, <laughs> it's a Dutch TV movie from 2016, mm. written and directed by Misha Kamp. Kind of, again, the setting is summer preparations for a big event, this time an important secondary school relay race. But the real story is this coming-of-age queer romance between two of the Relay teammates. Mm -hmm. So Seeger is a quiet 16-year-old. He lives with his widowed dad and bad boy brother in a sort of smallish town, as far as I can tell. So over the summer holidays, he trains with a new team to compete for Relay Championship, and that's where he meets Mark, who is... This very good-looking and mm. sort of carefree boy. Mm. He's seemingly more carefree than Seeger, who seems to spend a lot of his time playing peacemaker between his dad and his brother in the wake of his mom's death. Mm. So Mark and Seeger's romance slowly blooms, and Seeger is simultaneously increasingly distracted by his family stuff, and it seems like he is conflicted internally about coming out because he doesn't want to disrupt an already fragile family dynamic. Um, but there's a lot of lovely romantic moments, swimming at swimming holes, Ooh. first kisses, and stealing away to the beach, lots of meaningful gazes, mm. uh, which is what you want to see in a teen movie. Oh, 100%. Um, so I have to tell you, I don't have that much to say about the movie. The concerns are not, like, earth-shattering or heart-rending, but it's just this lovely movie that is touched with realism. Like, there's, it's believable. Um, but it's just about two boys falling in love and figuring out how to come out amid just, like, complex family stuff and social mm-hmm. stuff. I think it's worth a watch. And it does get to go on my LGBTQ movies with happy endings list. I love it. We Another love that entry here. there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm so excited about this movie. I'm trying Ooh. to contain myself. <laughs> <laughs> Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire. 
I'll explain the title and what Bayes means in a second. Okay. 1987 by British director Alan Clark. Clark is known for kitchen sink dramas, mm-hmm. uh-oh, <laughs> which mostly aired on British TV, which is kind of where we're doing a lot of TV movies. Oh, They're, he did something I really liked, and I can't think well, of... He, the famous ones are Scum, Main Britain, and Elephant, which... The title and long tracking shots inspired Gus Van Zandt's 2003 oh, movie okay. Elephant. Interesting. So maybe you're thinking about those, or no? He's, he's done some others with like different like female titles, like Christine, and I can't yeah. remember. Anyways. I have to look at a title. Yeah, yeah. So again, mostly like kind of kitchen sink dramas, a lot of TV stuff. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, this by is not this. usual. Yes, yeah, not my usual thing. But this is a horror comedy musical if you I mean I can't believe it and so but say with me um <laughs> about a guy who plays snooker against uh, again I'll explain later <laughs> um against a world-renowned vampire snooker champion so side note I believe um green bays is what you call the green felt on a snooker table uh. and snooker is basically like a different version of like billiards or pool I don't know the rules look them up no idea it's British or something. So I wasn't sure if this counted as a sport. Sorry. Oh, yeah. It's a competitive. Right? It's yeah, a competitive. That's the whole point is like competitive. Yeah. Like there's going the distance. And, exactly. And, yeah. So I, yeah, I just couldn't resist this as soon as I found out about it. This is a kind of like hidden gem brass ring that I'm constantly re- reaching for. I'd never heard of it and could find basically no reviews of it online, mm. which is shocking because it is begging for a cult following. Yeah. Um, the cinematography by Clive Tickner, who also shot Spice World. <laughs> I mean, <Ooh>. so <laughs> um, it has a um, a dark goth sci-fi. Uh, what's it called? It's oh, like dar- darkness, girl. lightness, kind yeah. of. Um, so shot like in a lot of darkness, with very dramatic camera work and costumes. The musical numbers by composer George Fenton are actually not annoying. Mm. Uh, they're more in the, the vein of like a toast of London. Okay. Um, so actually pretty catchy. Yeah. And it's currently available for free on Tubi, a site which I we really need to talk about how I don't understand I it. Don't but either. it's free. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff on there that is kind of like some deep cut yeah. stuff on there, some cult stuff. So uh, I think that was the only place yeah. I could watch Suspiria on for free. Okay. Anyway. Crazy. Yeah, so I'm just saying, guys, check out Tubi. T-U-B-I. Yeah. Lots of free stuff on there. Including this, I and mean, this is amazing. Honestly, like, I'm not trying to overhype it because I get too excited. And yeah. I want to freak people out. But Billy the Kid and the Green Bay's Vampire, I think you and Joel yeah. would really appreciate it. And I'm excited that our pitch will have echoes later oh, of some okay, of these right, things. Right. Okay. So I am probably showing my age with my last <laughs> movie, which is Love and Basketball. It came out in 2000, written and directed by the American filmmaker Gina Prince-Bicewood and produced by Spike Lee. And when I mentioned it to my friend Pam today that this was one of my picks, she said that is such an obvious one. (laughs) But she and I are the exact same age, and I actually think it might only be obvious to this slice of people who Mm -hmm. were young adults in the early 2000s and thought Omar Epps was Mm -hmm. fine. So if you're not familiar... Where is he? Where is he? I think he's on a TV drama. I was okay. looking him up. Yeah, he's yeah. on like a he's on like a TV drama now. Okay. Maybe, well, he maybe in, he needs to be in pictures. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> let me tell you because who? <laughs> yeah. This was the era where he was just the love interest and also played a lot of athletes. I think, but in this movie, he and Sanaa Lathan play Quincy and Monica, their childhood friends who both play basketball. So Quincy played by Epps, is the son of an NBA player who's played by Dennis Haysbert. 
and is definitely groomed to follow in his dad's footsteps. Hmm. So Monica, so Sanaa Lathan, uh, her parents are a banker and a homemaker, and there's this tension with her mom who wishes she could be this more feminine girl and not Mm -hmm. be such a tomboy. So Monica and Quincy have the classic adversarial love-hate relationship in high school where they each are the captains of their high school basketball teams and are kind of competitive but kind of admire each other. Mm -hmm. And they still are best friends. Like, if his parents are fighting, he climbs out the window and will go and sleep on her floor. Oh, that's because, my dream, yeah. like, childhood, or, you know what I mean? Dynamic. Team, 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 like, I you know what I mean? parents were fighting slot. I had to go I mean, sleep that, in yeah, my next weird, But that's what I always wanted. It's yeah. for, like, my best friend slash that's really boyfriend sweet. to, like, go through my window. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I mean, it really is. If you want to come to my window scenario, that's definitely Ooh, <laughs> that's yeah. definitely what's going on here. There's a lot <laughs> related to that. They're, it's, like, for such a rich neighborhood that they live in. Their houses are so close together. Yeah. Uh, so where Quincy is the golden boy and the girl magnet, Monica struggles with her temper and she worries a lot about being scouted by college teams. But of course, on the night of the fateful spring dance, they finally kiss and safely consummate their non-requited <laughs> love. I appreciated that aspect. Okay, okay. You know, very like early 2000s team mm-hmm. where they're like, correct, there's a condom, do yes. not worry about it, kids. Yeah. Uh, so that's just the first quarter. The rest of the movie... Flashes forward to college, where they're both trying to make their names on their college teams, and they struggle with what comes next. So Quincy has all the pressure and allure of entering the NBA draft, whereas Monica considers playing in Europe because that was the only available option for women in basketball at the time. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I'm going to make a long parenthetical aside here. (laughs) Do. Because I do think it's worth mentioning that playing in Europe in the offseason is still something a number of WNBA players do mm-hmm. because they do not make a lot of money stateside. But that can be risky because often they're playing in multiple leagues throughout the year. They're not really getting periods of rest. Oh. Uh, so Brianna Stewart, who is one of the star players for the Seattle Storm, mm-hmm. hometown team, she's also the 2018 WNBA MVP she suffered a pretty devastating Achilles injury while playing oh. in the EuroLeague Championship, and that sidelined her for the entire 2019 WNBA season. Yeah. So just to be clear, that's like LeBron or Steph or James Harden injuring themselves because they had to take on a second job, essentially, in <laughs> the offseason. Uh, so I'll link to an article about what her injury might mean for their upcoming collective bargaining agreement. There's just a lot about a compressed season and quality of life issues and back-to-backs. And the article explains it better than I can. But I just wanted to emphasize that these kind of concerns, like, are still an issue. Yeah. And when I looked up Brianna Stewart's salary, I was (laughs) shocked at what she makes. It's, like, barely more than me. And she's on TV. She's a WNBA. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, so back to the movie. That's just my little (laughs) women's sports aside. So then it flashes forward again. And I'm not going to give away the ending, but it is a good one. I will say that when Prince Bythewood finished the script, WNBA did not exist. So by the time the movie actually made it to production, she did add an ending that included the new league. I love it. And it's just, I mean, it's really like, especially watching it with your young adult girl brain, you're like, yes, she has it. She can even have it all. (laughs) Oh, and Sanaa Lathan, we were watching the movie and as an adult now, I was like, okay, she definitely played basketball in high school or something because she's actually good yeah and i read that she started training two months before before and somehow <laughs> there wasn't so a realistic. stunt person no. or no That's she crazy. just looks really good uh she actually beat out professional athletes who wanted to go into acting although professional athletes often aren't like the best yeah. actors yeah. necessarily huh. oh two 
other footnotes. Joel wanted me to point out an anachronism. <laughs> okay. In the first scene, Quincy is wearing an L.A. Clippers jersey, but the first scene is supposed to take place in 1981 when they the Clippers were still in San Diego, and they also had different uniforms. That's a goof. Yeah. That's so a you, real gift. You do not, Lars, you don't need to head oh. on over to sportslogos.net to oh. fact check it. Joel's already done it. Oh my god. <laughs> it's a goof. Is that a thing? And Oh or yeah. Oh yeah. Sportslogos.net. Sports right. If you were into like uniform changes and stuff, it oh. is pretty interesting okay. actually from a textile and fashion That's history perspective true. Okay. but it is already noted as a goof on imdb i don't <laughs> okay, think it affects God. the plot or overall quality of the movie but if you're <laughs> an nba super fan that is the first scene so it might be you oh, might be pretty like, jarring <laughs> i just yeah. can't, can't suspend my disbelief for this <laughs> uh, this is a sci-fi movie <laughs> it's an alternate timeline where the san diego ah. clippers or the la clippers like, what <laughs> madness is this <laughs> i love it um last footnote just if I piqued your interest about WNBA, Twitter actually has an agreement to stream 20 or so WNBA games this season. So I suggest hopping on over, checking it out. It's free. Alright. Uh, let me just say that NBA players know that WNBA players can really hoop. So mm. check it out. Swing it a bit. <laughs> Restructure out. <laughs> I don't know. Baseball. We're coming hot out of the bullpen. We've been mm. warming up and we got another pitch for you. <laughs> so if you haven't if you haven't paid attention in previous episodes, if you're just joining us, we like to play because a game. Because of sports. Because of sports. You were drawn in by the metadata. Like you were yeah. like, oh, a sports Ooh, podcast. A sports podcast. <laughs> Boy, here just comes a flood of fucking yeah. wall of oh, one star one stars from people who are like i was trying to look at bar stool but i was told there'd be sports i was told there's sports and there's just some ladies talking about tight tight little shorts and wrestling <laughs> <Yeah>. clothes <laughs> so if you aren't familiar this is a game we play where we each bring two elements unknown to one another and we pitch a movie idea on the spot uh, I believe that we have a working title this time. Something mm-hmm. fun we like to do where Lars yeah. finds a wacky title and we... <laughs> wacky zany title. So I almost watched this. It's um, 2017 Polish short film that looked interesting, but I already had my picks. Anyways, yeah. so the title is How to Reach God Through Proper Exercising. Ooh, <laughs> so sports. Yeah. Exercise. I love it. Yeah. This might actually work. And it's on Vimeo if you want to watch it. It's like 20 Ooh. minutes long. It looked pretty good. Anyway. Yeah. How to reach God through proper exercising and you're leading the pitch. So what do you get? Okay. So I have very little. So you can help me fill in. <laughs> okay. So my actor is Kate Berlant. She is the comedy writing partner with John Early. So I'm hoping we can get John oh, Early I as well. Yeah. She's fantastic. <laughs> like, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and my overall theme, I want a vampire movie. So I talked about Blade. Oh. You talked about Billy the Oh, oh yeah, Billy the Kid, kid. and the Green Bay's vampire. <laughs> it's just so such a catchy title. Yeah, I mean, it not rolls to off burn the into your brain. Yeah. So I do want something maybe closer to like Vampire's Kiss, kind of like a funny, oh, like boy. a fun, well, okay, not uh, but, but good, but good. But yeah. But in terms a of sane version. Or the um what's his name? The Jim Carrey one from the 80s. It doesn't matter oh my where God. he's good. I know he's he, like once bitten by shy or something yeah, some iteration yeah, of that. Yeah, once okay. bitten or something like that. So you know like a fun something that's 
sort of a, a fun romp. Not a creepy man. I want Ooh, Kate Berlant. Have you seen Vamp? Sorry. That's no. gonna I'm gonna mention it at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Vamp. Grace Jones. Dancer vampire. Oh my god. Anyway, so another reference now point. I, uh, um, watch it. I don't even know. Watch it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's added to my list. Yep. Added to my radar. But I want Kate Berlant as mm-hmm. someone who has been turned into a vampire unknown to herself. Mm-hmm. And then it's just, then I'm just, we're going from there. So basically, I just want an experience. That's the initial pitch. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I was, if I were a betting betting woman, I was going to bet on (laughs) you were going to do a sports movie. Mm. Because you usually do a lot of thematic pitches. yeah. So you threw me for a loop. I did. So I had that in mind, even though my actor is, anyway, Darren Chris from The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, oh, I don't know if you know him. Okay. He's amazing. Like yeah. I'm completely sold on him. Yeah. So I kind of saw him as a a cocky antagonist to the league, kind of like Val Kilmer in Top Gun. I don't know why that was my like go to reference. Ooh. So I just see him like being real catty, and this is weird. Like the trope I chose again because I thought it was gonna be about sports. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. I even though I don't really like characters in movies saying like making bets or whatever. It's not really my thing. But I do want to see Darren Chris. In a scene saying, cocking his head to one side and saying, care to make it interesting? Like, ooh, ooh and then a little bet going. So we got, okay, I mean, it's no, wide open here. I we am, got a wide open okay, pitch. No, we okay. can make this okay. work. Okay, Kate Berlant, she's mm-hmm. been turned into a vampire yep. by some hunk. Okay. She just had like a wild night and then yeah. she wakes up. She's a vampire. You have the whole process where she's like, oh yeah. shit, I'm a vampire. Yeah. Then I think that um, Darren Chris is. Perhaps he is sent from, like, the Vampire Council to kind of initiate her into the community. But Mm -hmm. he's kind of like, we don't need another bitch in town. Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Like, he's skeptical of her. He's like, you didn't even want to become one. Like, vampires like me. Wait, is he, like, does he have a relationship? I mean, like, a friendship or relationship or, like, an ex of the guy that she slept with or something, maybe? maybe. And he's like, He's a rival. Yeah, he's kind of a rival. rival. There's, like, a little bit of jealousy. Yeah. And then maybe they kind of get... They get into a competition of who can turn the most people, who can cr- okay, okay. like a sort of like All right. who's going to be the new head vampire in town potentially. Okay. Yes, there's going to be some really sexy, some raucous, like, sexy yeah, like night, yeah. like secret club scenes. Okay. I think would mm-hmm. be really speakeasy. good. Yeah, kind okay. of speakeasy. I yeah. feel like that's where John Early could come in. Is like Ooh. maybe you know like the host of one of the <gasps> secret clubs where he's yes. just like that's all I want. I've heard all about you. <laughs> Okay, okay. He's manning the velvet rope or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's, like, oh. escorting he's got, like, you to the like, a little hat on? I don't know. I'm like, he's got, have, like, a small picturing. hat on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it's, like, a sort of a competition where okay. she, at first she's just like, oh, no, I'm a vampire. But then yeah. she gets into it, and then she's got her rivalry. Mm-hmm. You've got one night. Mm-hmm. you got to turn. I don't know why, but you got to turn to X. Like, X you number. You can turn the most people. Exactly. Okay. okay. Maybe, yeah, so there's some sort of ticking clock, because if she yes. doesn't do it, then... She like he's gonna push her into like the the sunlight, the morning sunlight. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, maybe that's how they made it interesting. Is the okay. other one can yeah perhaps yeah kind of make it like a like exactly like a social standing. It's like, like bring it's, it on. It's a stratosphere. <laughs> Speaking of sports, bring, bring it on. on. But vampires, but sexy. Yeah, I would watch the shit out of that. absolutely. <laughs> yep.
All right, now it's time for Radar. So this is things we have watched, we plan to watch, things we are warning you against. Who knows? It's a real grab bag. One of the sports films that I doggedly tried to track down for today's show was the late 90s, hour-long documentary essay, Gosho Gaioka, by artist um, Sharon Lockhart, that documented Japanese girls' basketball team exercise drills. <laughs> so there are no coaches, no yelling, which I appreciate, just like static camera shots, like filming a group of girls in a school gymnasium, running laps and conducting basketball drills and this hypnotic synchronization. Anyway, it broke my heart. I could only find a 10 minute clip on like the artist website. And I was like, it was like, MoMA, you can come see this three years ago. Anyway. That happens to me so much. I know. Okay, well. Yeah, exactly. I guess I have good taste. Anyway, um, so hey, if anyone has a, you know, a file, I'm just saying. Anyway. Slide in our DMs. Yeah. But it looked like the bit that I saw looked really great. So another one, random, not sports related. (laughs) Uh, It's called Chances Are. It's from 1989. Uh, with Sybil Shepard and Robert Downey Jr. I mean, it's just a tale as old as time. Yeah. A reincarnated man unknowingly falls in love with his own daughter from his previous life. <laughs> I remember this And movie. once he realizes this, he tries to end their relationship before Angels erases memory. I mean, we know I that mean, story. No, blah, blah, God, blah. it's like, ugh. <laughs> anyway, I saw the trailer. It was, like, incomprehensible because I think they're like, oh, wait, how do we, like push incest as like a romance comedy <laughs> angle anyway so that intrigued me and another one that probably isn't good but i i was really down a rabbit hole i yeah. think these sports movies just led me to this, these weird places a film called partners 1982 with ryan o'neill and john hurt kind of a weird combination um directed by james burroughs of fraser and i mean basically every other TV show that's ever been on TV, you know, like Will and Grace, everything. So a straight police detective is unnerved when he's ordered to go undercover with a gay police clerk as a couple to solve a series of murders in the gay community. I am sure it is hella dicey. And I watched the trailer and like... There's like some really good um, Thomas Finland kind of vibes there. I don't know. I know anyway, that's your so catnip. That's so. Like, I know, and actually James catnip too. He's like super into that, and so we're both like, I mean, I'm sure it's really problematic, but I'm probably gonna watch it. <laughs> just like I'm like anyway. So it just looks like. I you mean, I look. I can't recommend it. I'm sure it's right. Yeah, but I'm probably watching gonna watch it. I'm just gonna yeah. say. I mean, John Hurt. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what do you get? Okay, well, I have a little aside. <laughs> Yet another aside. <laughs> I mean, that's but, what we um, On my radar now, so after our songs that should be movies segment, I did hear some related tidbits from friends and listeners. Uh, so David mentioned the video for the Mike and the Mechanic song Silent Running from 1985, which it looks, he mentioned this to me, we looked it up, it is a... <laughs> Full, it looks like a full-on trailer for this cool sci-fi movie. Even the way that real film footage from an actual film is cut in, but it's from an unrelated movie. But the way huh. they... It literally is filmed like a trailer. So yeah. definitely check it out. I'll link okay. it on the YouTube. So it basically is... Like, they treated it as though it was going to be a movie, but then yeah. they never made a movie of it. It's a real Chris Gaines it is scenario. Real. You're like, oh, is this? What's going on? Yep. So and thanks, David. <laughs> yeah, for that. Uh, then Paul told me about... The movie The Indian Runner. Do you know about this? I've heard, the title sounds so, familiar. Yeah. 
Sean Penn literally based, he directed it, he literally based it on the Bruce Springsteen song, Highway Patrolman, <laughs> like very oh, literally. Okay. And apparently it's not a bad movie, even though it's made by a bad man. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he based it so like line for line on okay. it that it does make it a bit strange, apparently. But okay. so apparently Sean Penn has taken very literally the brief to turn a song into a movie. All right. And. If you love Bruce Springsteen, I mean, I'm the probably, boss, so yeah, I'll but check then it I'm out. like, but then Sean Penn, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I mean, weigh it out lots for of yourself. Feelings. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Who knows? Anyway, those are some updates from the song to movie arena. Please yeah. feel free to keep send, to yeah, sending send us them those. Great, send, our, send them our way. It's a rich topic. It sure <laughs> is. Um, okay. So first on my radar, I watched Hollywood Shuffle from 1987, oh, yeah. directed by Robert Townsend and written by Townsend and Keenan Ivory Wayans. He is in a role very clearly based on his and Wayne's real life experiences. Uh, he plays an up and coming actor who dreams of making it big, but is constantly faced with these awful stereotypical roles for black actors written by white filmmakers and mm-hmm. TV writers. And so his experiences trying to break into, like, make it big mm-hmm. are interspersed with sequences that he dreams up in his own mind, either movies he wishes oh, he could be yeah. in or anxiety, fever dreams. He's like, oh, God, <laughs> hey. what if I take this role and then everyone hates me? Yeah. Uh, Spur my life. I mean, then you know what I mean. This anxiety. is film for you. <laughs> so it's just a very sharp satire of the ways that, I mean, Hollywood really still works in a lot of ways. And you can watch it on Criterion. I totally recommend it. It's a really fun, brisk okay. watch. I also watched Still of the Night from 1982, directed by Robert Benton. <gasps> I've seen that. Okay, I was like, this is yeah, a real yeah. Lars movie. Yeah, catnip for me. Yeah. So I watched this after basically reading the one-sentence summary, which <laughs> is... Roy Scheider and Meryl Streep star in a highly charged Hitchcock-inspired murder mystery set among New York's chic world of high-rolling antique brokers, (laughs) co-starring Jessica Tandy. Sure. What what more do you need? I mean, that's it. So I know there's a lot of clear Hitchcock homages, but I feel like it's the closest I've seen to an American Giallo movie. Hmm. The plot, the basic plot, the quick cuts, the framing, just everything about it except for a really cool soundtrack. Frankly, yeah. the soundtrack yeah. is a little lacking. Need some I would Tangerine Dream in there. You'd, yeah, some, I mean, some just goblin. like Goblin. Yeah. yeah. So I would redo the soundtrack, but I totally loved it. It's probably only for fans of like Tenabre or similar, though. It has mm. a real Tenabre Deep Red vibe. Um, mm. Oh, okay. Side note this will make no sense because it's not like we're always posting pictures of ourselves, but Roy Scheider is wearing my exact glasses throughout the movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it is a real thrill for us. Like, Those are my glasses. Hey. Uh, so you basically, if you want to picture me, just picture Roy Scheider with like. Yeah, a bob. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's it. That right. yep. No wait, that's a little confusing for me because I've got quite the crush. <laughs> sexually confused. Speaking of a sinewy frame, oh, sorry, I'm trying to sexually confuse yeah, you with yeah, my glasses. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've heard that like, or I thought I read after I watched it because I really liked it. I thought that Meryl Streep was like that was my like least favorite movie I've done. I'm like, yeah, you know, really? I saw something like that. And I was like, I thought it was fun. It was really fun. I mean, oh. I guess it's like if you're not into, I mean, like I said, it's really Jalo esque. If you're not yeah. into that kind of fun movie, yeah. You're, that is when she was trying to break into really serious roles in the yeah. Kramer versus Kramer era. Mm-hmm. It is just kind of like this helpless dame who you, I mean, the entire time I'm like, oh, she's the murderer. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> you'll have to watch to find out. Uh, okay, final thing. So last week, my friend Mario and I were talking about 90s TV shows that might deserve a second look. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned Picket Fences. And mm. this is one of those shows that all I remember about Picket Fences 
is being a kid and thinking it seemed like this kind of boring grown-up show about yeah. people in a small town mm-hmm. and like maybe it's like a crime procedural or just like something really yeah. boring like maybe people are at war or who knows <laughs> But then as we were talking about it, my interest was piqued because he was describing a much weirder show that sounds honestly pretty up my alley. Okay. Because it is about a small town in Wisconsin, but it's this place full of colorful characters where these weird things happen, where like body parts show up in freezers and stuff, and there's bizarre murders taking place, all while this aging town sheriff tries to like barely keep the lid on. Okay. So it is a David E. Kelly show. It's probably Uh, like, you know, well enough produced. It seems like maybe it has a little bit of a Northern Exposure vibe, which Uh I have a soft spot for. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll report back. Okay. I am intrigued. Yeah. I think most of mine, yeah, were like, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Fingers crossed. It's a journey. Well, thanks for joining. You can subscribe to keep up with us or drop us a line at storyboardpod at gmail.com via Instagram at storyboardpodcast via Twitter at storyboard underscore pod. You're missing out because I like to post Furio Fridays on Twitter, which is <laughs> never going to catch on, but that's just a, that's a me thing, a private okay. joke that I do Okay, because <laughs> Lars doesn't pay attention. Oh boy, no, I don't watch. I don't uh, watch Twitter. Yeah, don't it's a TV she's, show. She's not oh a... Boy. <laughs> not a Twitter watcher no nope. that girl uh, all the links of the movies we talk about are in the episode notes till next time if there's one thing I know it's resting although you know what at my last job we had this whole collection of university athletics photos that we digitized mm. and there were some sexy wrestling pictures I that, love wrestling like, jerseys 50s, like onesies like, oh yeah it was singlets we were Ooh, we were all, all the ladies were gathering right Ooh, around the laptop to scan that yeah. at high, high resolution.